Well, as you can see, I'm not Tom, and uh, that Ryan wasn't Ryan. Um, uh, they weren't cutting the mustard, so we had to let them go. Uh, that's, that's not being recorded yet, is it? Um, Tom is on a much-needed vacation with his family. Uh, he will be back in two weeks, uh, two Sundays. Uh, Brad Schmidt, a child of this church and the pastor of City Church, which we planted a few years ago, is going to be preaching next week, so come here, Brad, and... Um, and we will, we will fellowship with him and, and hear uh, his word uh, that the Lord's given him. And also, Ryan uh, and Julie Brasington uh, is, are not on a vacation. They're actually, we loaned them to a church up in Tallahassee to do their vacation Bible school for the week. So they need to come back here to get uh, rest. So you can be praying for them uh, as they're running around with these kids. I guess they're, they're done now. But uh, anyway, that's where they are. So it's my pleasure to be with you all this morning. Um, I got to tell you, I was just uh, standing here, and it is so moving to hear everybody singing together. I mean, you know, Tom has been uh, preaching a few weeks back. He finished a series on uh, the hope of heaven, and he talked about what heaven would be like, you know, and he kind of peeled back the curtains for us through a, a vision that God gave of the, to the Apostle John in the book of Revelation of what heaven would be like. And what I loved about it is that, you know, heaven... Uh, is, is not about the bricks and the mortar or what the streets are paved with or anything else. Heaven was about people. And there is this uh, understanding that, that in the new heavens and the new earth, when God makes everything right, it will be inhabited. This city will be inhabited by God's people and will come all together and we'll do what we just did, but infinitely with God as our choir director. And so in that moment, I hope you do that. I hope you hear the people around you singing and realize that God has made us for community and that we, we talk about gathering and plugging in and serving, uh, gathering meaning coming together for corporate worship. That's why. That's why we don't worship at home and you know, watch it on TV. We, we come together because that's a taste of heaven. So thank you. Thank you for ministering to me this morning. Um, as I said, Tom has been... Uh, a few weeks back, finished a series on uh, on heaven and what it will be like, and we saw for sure that uh, heaven is about the people that are there, and its foundations were built with the fathers of of of, of the faith, and um, also we saw that in this heaven that will be enjoyed by all who who call on the name of Christ, who all who 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 follow Christ, um, this heaven is going to be a place where all this stuff in this world that is broken gets fixed. You know, I see a lot of that stuff. As a pastor, sometimes people say, well, pastors, you don't live in the real world, right? Well, let me tell you what. I see more of the real world in a day than most people see, you know, in a year because we see sort of the dark side of what people go through. You know, we live through recessions and things in a different way because we live through them with you. And so when I say that there will be no more tears and no more suffering and no more sorrow in heaven... I want you to put yourself in that position. I want you to think about the tears and the suffering and the sorrow that you have in your life and that, and that you see in the world around you. And I want you to see that it will be gone. There will be no more infomercials with starving children that you don't want to see because you just it feels too overwhelming to help. You, there will be no more stories of nations fighting against nations that, that can't be fixed, it, it seems like. There will be no more stories of people killing themselves because they just at the end of their rope and they've lost a job or a, a spouse or something that they think has been the end of the world to them. These stories will be gone. No more sexual abuse. No more corruption. 
No more stealing your life savings through dishonesty and, and misdealings. It'll be done. And that's the picture that Tom painted for us through this, this, this vision and revelation. Um, but what I want to talk about is, what about right now, though? You know, I guess really what today is about is what, what do we do with ourselves in the meantime, right? You know, when I was in college, I remember it was one of the darkest seasons of my life. Maybe the darkest, most confusing season of my life was at the end of my senior year, the second semester, because I had played sports my whole life, uh, sort of culminating in football in college, and our season ended in November, right? You'll notice we didn't go to a bowl game, obviously, because our season ended in November, but my, my college career in football ended in November, and in the spring, this is, and it didn't really hit me until the spring, because in spring you have spring training. So the spring came, and there was no spring training, and there was no two-a-days, and there was no season to, come, to look forward to, and there was no going to the gym to prepare for something. And what I realized in that moment was that I had had an epic, a season of my life that was very clearly defined and, and, and operated in a very clear structure that gave me a sense of significance and attached me to something that I believed was valuable and important. And it was gone. It was done forever. And this new epic of my life that I was entering into, you know what it was called? It was called the rest of your life. No more plans, really. I could look to the future and I could, and I could think about, well, I think I'm going to do this career and I think I, you know, I, I wasn't dating anybody. I don't know who I'm going to marry, but I think I'll probably get married. I'll probably have kids. I'll probably this, maybe that. I don't know. But it was the rest of my life. What do I do now? Well, I want to I talk to you today about a moment in time that informs us about what we do between now and that time that Tom talked about when God will make all things right. And, and that hope of heaven will become a reality. And let me tell you what it is not. It is not sitting around waiting and hoping and expecting for that day to come and hiding behind the bushes until it does. It is not keeping cover, staying out of the fray, and keeping my little world protected in the way that I think it should be until I get to jump on the train. What I want to look at this morning is from the book of Acts, chapter 2, verses 14 to 21. What this is, is this is the beginning of a speech that the apostle Peter gave to a big crowd of people. Okay, Now, some important things to know about that are that Peter was just a fisherman. Okay, like He had been with Jesus three years. Before that, the rest of his life, he was a fisherman. He was a blue-collar guy, uneducated, other than a little bit of, of you know, spiritual education he would get as a good Jewish boy. But generally, he was just a, 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 just a worker. And he was a big mouth. We know that about him. We know that he was very gregarious. He'd probably be a fun guy to have around at the party. Uh, but we know that he tended to put his foot in his mouth. We know that he kind of tended to have a big ego and think a little bit more of himself than maybe he should in his ability to, to follow Jesus, right? Because one of the things we know is that uh, the night before Jesus died, he, he'd betrayed Jesus three times. He, he denied him three times, I should say, which Jesus predicted, because not just because Jesus is, is omniscient and knows everything, but because Jesus knew Peter. He said, Peter, you big bag of wind, you'll deny me three times before the cock grows in the morning. And he did. And then Jesus went and was crucified. Now keep in mind that what I'm about to read to you happened just a number of weeks later. After Peter the blowhard blue-collar fisherman 
denied Jesus three times to save his own skin and saw Jesus crucified. What had just happened to Peter is what's important. Um, you remember that Jesus came and he was crucified and then he was resurrected from the dead and, and then he told his, his disciples to wait for something. He said, I have to leave because somebody has to come. Who was that? Anybody know? The Holy Spirit has to come. I've got to go, but I'm, se- I'm sending you someone that I promised to you that's going to be a sign and a seal. That's, what, that's sort of the, the you know, seminary type stuff we call it. He's going to be a sign and a seal for my return. He's a promise. He's like your engagement ring. Okay, and it's the Holy Spirit. I'm going to send out the Holy Spirit and then um, through him and through the power that comes, you're going to spread my name to the remotest parts of the earth. You're going to make disciples as the Holy Spirit comes upon you. And he makes this promise to Peter and the 12 and, and, and the rest of these disciples, right? And then Jesus leaves. He's, he ascends into heaven. So a number of days pass and this happens. And by the way, this is not a story. This is not just a made-up fable I'm getting ready to tell you to teach you a good moral at the end. We believe, this is where we we put our crazy eggs in this crazy basket, okay? We believe that God entered time and space decisively through Jesus. We believe that God revealed himself to us through the person of Jesus, and that when we say he died on a cross and three days later he rose from the dead, he did. He transcended time and space and was able to do that, which is something that if there's a God, he should be able to do. And so this happened, and then um, Jesus was ascended into heaven, and then they were waiting, and, and a number of days later, the Holy Spirit came into this room where these 120 or so disciples were waiting, and it says that it came down like tongues of fire, which, by the way, is very similar to a description we find in early Jewish history about how God delivered the law to Israel on Mount Sinai. It says that, that, that he uh, it was actually a, a Jewish historian named Philo that said that fire came down from heaven and poured down on the mountain, and through this fire came the law of God, the, the word of God, the voice of God, and they could all hear it in their own languages. Isn't that interesting? Well, that's what happened on the day of Pentecost, the day of this, uh, the end of this festival of weeks that the Jews celebrated, where they would celebrate the first fruits of their harvest. Okay, well, it was in these first fruits of this harvest that the Holy Spirit, the celebration of the first fruits, fruits that this Holy Spirit came upon these people, and it says it was like tongues of fire and a great wind. It wasn't, that wasn't the Holy Spirit, but that was the mode, the method through which God said the Holy Spirit is coming into you, is filling you. And the room filled up, and they received the Holy Spirit, and then it says they began rejoicing and celebrating and going out into, they, they walked out of the building, and they began shouting and celebrating and, and, and reveling in what had just happened and sharing the name of Jesus, sharing the gospel uh, to everybody, just proclaiming Jesus, right? So like maybe if that happened in downtown Fort Lauderdale, you know, we'd, we'd be you know, calling the psychiatric ward or something. Well, so here's what happened there. There's this big Jewish festival going on. And isn't it interesting, by the way, that the Holy Spirit, our first fruits that God brought to us in the newness of our salvation came on the, the historic day that the Jews would have understood is the day we celebrate the first fruits of what God has provided for us. It's beautiful the way God works in history, isn't it? So they understood these things. So anyway, these people went out. So they're doing their thing. And there's a big, huge crowd of people milling around because it's this big festival and everybody comes from all over to celebrate it. And uh, so these people are making such a racket and there's all this in, in exuberant confusion that people kind of notice, right? Everybody takes notice and then people start actually yelling back at them and saying things. And the, the sort of the prevailing opinion is that what? Anybody remember? They're drunk. Somebody yells out, eh, they're drunk. 
And that's the beginning of Peter's speech. The response to this challenge that they're drunk. So here's what happens. Peter says, uh, Peter uh, stands up, it says, and addresses the crowd. Now we know blue collar, working man, big mouth Peter would probably be the perfect guy to do this, right? Because here's what he says. He says, we're not drunk. It's only nine in the morning. And, you know, we read the scriptures, and a lot of times they're written in sort of this flowery language, and we tend to think that Peter was very sophisticated, but he really wasn't at all. And the people that shouted, they must be drunk, were probably fooling around a little bit, kidding around. Ah, they're drunk. So Peter joked back. And he yelled out to the crowd, we're not drunk, it's only nine in the morning. And what was funny about that to me was that he wasn't saying they're not above getting drunk. He was saying it's not time yet. And did you hear how you laughed? That's the way I believe they would have laughed. I believe that that's the way they would have heard that. You see, this was the end. 10 a.m. would have been the end of their, of their feast of weeks, their fast on that day. So it was only 9 a.m. So he said, hey, look, it's an hour before we can get drunk. Right? So he gets the crowd, right? He wins the crowd. Remember who this guy was just a few weeks ago. He wins the crowd by being a part of the crowd and speaking to them in their cultural context. But then he stands up and it says he addressed the crowd. And in his address, he said, men of, Jerusalem, uh, men of Israel and all those in Jerusalem. Let me tell you why that's significant. Because that would have been understood as the way a great teacher or orator would speak when he was getting ready to deliver a profound address. And maybe it was just as quiet as it is right now. And he delivered in that moment one of the most profound and powerful and sophisticated biblical explanations of a Jewish prophecy ever delivered, and maybe one of the greatest speeches of all time, and I'll tell you why. Because at the sound of his voice, which, by the way, was just earshot, they did not meet in a big coliseum. There was not amplification. They didn't pass out flyers and draw people together. These were passers-by who were drawn to Peter, who spoke these words, and when he was done, 3,000 people in his earshot followed Jesus that day. pretty good for a blue-collar, big-mouth fisherman who just a few days before had denied that Jesus was even his friend. So let's see what Peter has to say. This is from Acts chapter 2, verses 14 to 21. If you have a Bible, you can follow along, or it'll, it'll be up on the screen. But Peter, standing with the eleven, lifted up his voice and addressed them. Men of Judea and all who dwell in Jerusalem, let this be known to you and give ear to my words. There's that big rhetorical introduction. For these people are not drunk, as you suppose, since it's only the third hour of the day. But this is what was uttered through the prophet Joel. And here he goes. And in the last days, it shall be. And Peter, actually, this uneducated blue-collar fisherman, made a slight translation change on that phrase because in, in Joel, it says, after those things. 
Because Joel was, was speaking, God was speaking through Joel to the Israelites in a certain situation that they were in. And Peter makes this brilliant, profound, exegetical shift. Exegesis is pulling the meaning out of Scripture. He makes this little shift that the, that the Jews, the Greek Jews would have understood. And he says, what I'm about to say doesn't just apply to the Israelites generations ago. It applies to you now and this whole world and all of human history. Blue collar, big mouth Peter sorted that out on the fly, standing in front of a crowd of people who had just called him a drunk. And this uh, was the words uttered by the prophet Joel. And in the last days, it shall be, God declares, that I will pour out my spirit on all flesh and your sons and your daughters shall prophesy and your young men shall see visions and your old men shall dream dreams. Even on my male servants and my female servants, in those days, I will pour out my spirit and they shall prophesy. And I will show wonders in the heavens above and signs on the earth below, blood and fire and vapor and smoke, a uh, vapor of smoke. The sun shall be turned to darkness and the moon to blood before the day of the Lord comes, the great and magnificent day. And it shall come to pass, Peter says, that everyone who calls upon the name of the Lord shall be saved. And on that day, 3,000 called upon the name of the Lord and were saved. And if you've called on the name of the Lord, you will stand in heaven with those 3,000 in that great city. Peter, the blue-collar, big-mouthed fisherman, just denied Jesus. This was the beginning of his speech. So a few things in this speech you need to know. First of all, this, this phrase, the last days, that phrase appears all over Scripture, especially in the, the, the prophets in the Old Testament, but it also appears all over the New Testament. Um, and when I say old and new, the, the Jewish Scriptures, the, the Jewish Testament, and the, the new Christian Scriptures, the New Testament, it appears in both of those places. If you get a study guide, which there's study guides in the back, and you can get one online, um, if you get a study guide, there are a lot more references and things if you want to study this more. But this last days concept was all over the scriptures. In Isaiah 2.2, it says, In the last days, <clears throat> excuse me, the mountain of the Lord's house will be the highest of all, the most important place on earth. It will be raised above the hills, uh, it will be raised above the other hills, and people from all over the world will stream there to worship. In 1 Peter, the Apostle Peter writes, God chose him, Christ, as your ransom long before the world began. But he has now revealed him to you in these last days. So the first thing we can see about the last days is that they are right now. We are in them. They've been going on for 2,000 years. And they will continue this, what we call this messianic age, this age, Messiah, Savior, this age of the Savior will continue from the time Jesus was resurrected and delivered the Holy Spirit until Christ's return. We are living in the last days. Now you go, wait a minute, last days, that usually implies later in the future, and that also implies, you know, that they're almost over. Well, they addressed that very issue, even in the scriptures, they said, they said, but to, to, to God, a day is but a thousand years. And he's patient, not desiring that any should perish, but that all should have eternal life. That all would, who would call upon his name, that all who in his sovereign plan would be gathered to him, past, present, and future, that his plan would be carried out before the return of Christ. 
Well, that sounds like a long time. That sounds like a, a, an excuse. I mean, I'll be honest with you. When I was in seminary, it sounded like an excuse to me. But then when I began to think about human history and, and, and an eternal God, and I considered things like, you know, I always used to think that, that sort of the Bible was full of miracles and everybody in the Bible could do them and, and it were happening all the time. And the fact is, miracle, seasons of time in the scriptures where God did very obvious big miracles were very short and they were, they were separated by huge spans of time. Did you ever consider that from the time of Joseph, who had the dreams and got in with Pharaoh and, and was Pharaoh's right-hand man and then his family came to Egypt and they were saved from the famine? Well... From the time of Joseph, after that, when, when the Israelites, who were the descendants of Joseph, became slaves in Egypt, how many years? 400 years passed. Two lifetimes of this nation passed just in the time it took for God to move from, from Joseph to Moses. And then in a very short, small span of time through Moses, did some miraculous works. So we are living now in these last days, this messianic age. And it will continue maybe until 15 minutes from now, maybe until tomorrow, maybe until a thousand years from now. I don't know, but I do know this. We are living in it, we are active in it, and we are called to move in it and function in it and not just function, as I said, to protect ourselves until Jesus comes, to put a a fence around a church and find a safe place to hide so we don't get anything on us. No, we're called to get built up here, strengthened here, healed here, forgiven here, and then we're called to go out there. Like Peter and the disciples, filled with the Holy Spirit, out the front door. Otherwise, you and I wouldn't be here. And until we go out those doors, the people out there that need to be here won't be here. So we're living in these last days. One of the ways we know that from this passage also is that he uses all that, that smoke and fire language. Verse 19, signs uh, the, the heavens above and, and wonders in heavens above and signs on the earth below, blood, fire, vapor, smoke. The sun shall be turned to darkness and the moon to blood before the day of the Lord comes, the great and magnificent day. Well, that's language we see all throughout the Old Testament that they would have understood and all throughout the scriptures of that day that they would have understood as what we call eschatological language. That was the language that a prophet would use to proclaim when the great day of the Lord would come. So, he, so, so Peter was laying claim to that event through the Holy Spirit and his arrival as an eschatological event, the introduction of the last days. So we're living in them right now, living and active, moving and breathing. That's one thing we see. The next thing we see is this whole business about the Holy Spirit. Now, wait a minute, though. It says the Holy Spirit was poured out on all humankind. That it would be, he would be poured out. That was the prophecy, right? I thought that the Holy Spirit was only poured out on Christians the day they became a Christian. The Holy Spirit came in your heart, right? Well, yeah, that's, that's true. They were filled with the Holy Spirit in the upper room, Right? So a lot of times we either have that view. It's just this thing that happens to you. You don't really know if it happens or not, but you assume it does because the Bible says it does. We Presbyterians are real good about that one. But then you come over here, and there's another side of the spectrum that says if you are not flames flying out of your hair, healing people, you know, pure, you know, if you don't have some kind of supernatural, gunslinging, spiritual power, the Holy Spirit's not in you either. Okay? 
Well, let me tell you the truth. It's all of the above. Or surround, it's, it's, it's bigger than any of that. Let me tell you what filling of the Holy Spirit, plays, how it plays itself out in Scripture. Okay, You are filled with the Holy Spirit when he comes inside of you, works a change in your heart, uh, convicts you of your sin, and you receive his, his uh, forgiveness Uh, You receive that conviction, you confess your sins and repent, and then he indwells you, and he lives in your heart forever. You can't kick him out. Once the Holy Spirit's in you, the scriptures say, you can't evict him. He's taken up residence in you, and that's absolutely true. But there's another way that the Holy Spirit fills you, and that is for specific tasks and specific moments. We see the apostle Peter here and there and everywhere. It will say, and Peter, filled with the Holy Spirit, did that. Well, we knew he was filled with the Holy Spirit, right? He was a Christian. Why did they point it out? Because the Holy Spirit also empowers you for specific tasks and specific moments to carry out his will and to act with his power, not your own. Now, I say that because we Presbyterians over here, we don't talk about that much. But you need to know that you have access to the power that these apostles used on the day of Pentecost. The Holy Spirit can do that through you. You have that access. You you see, when we preach, when Tom and I and and, and a a pastor who's called to ministry preaches, and I don't say this to say we're great. I say this because it's supposed to be true, okay? Okay. We're supposed to be doing more than speaking up here. We're supposed to be doing more than crafting a a, a carefully thought out message. We're supposed to be more than good communicators. We're supposed to be filled with the Holy Spirit who is speaking to you when we preach. And when we preach, that which is true and right for uh, in the moment for you, that which you need to hear penetrates your heart, not because of how good the speaker is, but because the Holy Spirit is speaking through the speaker to you. And everything else hopefully falls out of the way. So you have that access to the power of the Holy Spirit. He works in and through you. When you're sitting down with someone, uh, my friend Adam Bond was in the early service. He's a great evangelist. But let me tell you what, it's not because he just is naturally gifted and skilled at, at being kind and loving people and knowing how to interact with them in their cultural context. It's because... The Holy Spirit fills him when he's sitting with a person and the Holy Spirit works through him in a person's life and brings about change through them, through him in their life and works in him and through him and in spite of him. The Holy Spirit is the train, man. We can't derail that train. He works in and through us and in spite of us and you have the ability in those moments when you need courage, in those moments when you need strength, in those moments when you need a word of wisdom, when you need discernment, when you need to know when to speak or when to be quiet, the Holy Spirit can fill you and empower you to do that in those moments. And you need to know that. But you need to know that it's not your, your lucky rabbit's foot or your little source of power to help you succeed in your little world. What does Jesus say? He says, as long as your will matches my will, then I will do my thing through you. As long as you're after the building of my kingdom in the last days, then my Holy Spirit will work in and through you. Jesus says, go into all the world and there, when you go out with this mission to make disciples, there I will be with you until the end of the age. And there's one final way that the Holy Spirit operates, and that is this, and this is part of the context of this messianic age. It says that he's poured out over all the earth. What that means is that the Holy Spirit's always been around. He's infinite. He's one of the Godhead, right? Father, Son, Holy Spirit. But in a unique way during the messianic age, the Holy Spirit is working in this world all over the place and he doesn't need us. 
He's not wringing his hands going, oh, if only a Christian would go to Indonesia, then maybe we could spread the God. No, he's going to move. He's going to work. He's going to be active in us, through us, in spite of us. He'll use a rock. He'll use a bad guy. He'll use anything he wants to, to carry out his purposes in the last days. So when you see that the Holy Spirit filled them, can mean those three things. He came into them as new believers, filled them for a specific task, and the Holy Spirit is filled throughout the earth. He's active and living and active throughout the earth. So we have this access to this power, this immeasurable power and wisdom through the Holy Spirit. So the last thing we see here is that there's a reason for all of this. There's a reason for all this. You know, we live out our lives in these last days for a purpose. It's, it's like when I was a football player and we had these different seasons in a year. One season, it was meant to make you stronger and physically better. Another season was meant to teach you and help you learn the, the game. And then another season was to play the game. And you couldn't do, you couldn't play the game without those other things. All of that had to take place. It had to transpire in order for you to play the game. You ever, you ever throw a big party? And, and uh, you know, I, like my wife is great at throwing parties, but let me tell you what, it is work. Not for me. I, I go on vacation. I find things to do. Um, no, my wife is great at planning parties, but let me tell you what, it takes hours, days, weeks, months sometimes to plan a party, right? You got to go to the party city and you got to get these napkins and you got to do this and you got to make this food. You got to go to the grocery store. You got to buy everything you need. You got to bring it in the house. You got to separate around. You got to figure out the schedule. When's this going to be ready so that it tastes just right and it's crispy, not soggy. And and when when are you going to light the candles and when are you going to do all these things? It's a huge, unbelievable undertaking to throw a big party. And then what happens? Everybody comes to the party, right? And they come and they have a great time and then they leave. The great time, the joy, the community, the fellowship, all the reasons we throw parties cannot take place until these other works have been done. That is God's redemptive history. That is why things don't happen in an instant. That is why we have human history. Remember what it said about Jesus? Before the foundations of the earth God had appointed him to be the savior of the world, to be king over all things. Before the foundations of the earth, God said, I'm going to throw this party. And all of human history has been the acting out, the playing out, the work of that. And do you understand that one of the things that had to happen is Jesus had to die and be resurrected. The prophets had to predict his coming. The Jews, the, the people needed to know of their need for a Messiah. All of these things had to be taught John Calvin called it God's baby talk. That's what he says scriptures are. He says it's God's baby's talk. And that's why in the, in the very oldest, most ancient texts, it's very simplistic and it's very attached to physical things and symbols because he was speaking to spiritual infants who had lost their maturity because of their sin. But then he began to mature and grow them and help them understand that God is not a thing. He's not an it he is a person and that he is invisible and that he is eternal and supernatural and that he's more powerful than anything that is. And as they began to teach that, then they began to prophesy about the plan that God had to redeem us. But he had to do his work to save you. He had to live a righteous life and die a sinner's death and go into the grave and conquer death so that 
the mechanics would be in place for you to be saved. It wasn't free. It wasn't just words. He had to pay a price. So we know that in living in these last days, they need to happen, they need to take place, and we are participants in them, and we are a part of their playing out. One thing Jesus makes clear about the end times, that great day, none of us will know when it's coming. That's why I don't spend a lot of my time trying to read Revelation and read the tea leaves about exactly what this means and that means, and is this person or this eagle, is that the the country over here? And I don't do that because Jesus, one thing he said over and over again is, you're not going to know when I'm coming back. But be ready. Live in these last days. So all these mechanics have been taking place so that we would be at this point, that we would be a part of his plan. So what does that mean to us? What are the implications for us? I'm going to leave you with this. Three implications for you and me. The first one is this. You and me and this church. Now let me say it again. I want you to say me. I want you to think of yourself. Say the word me or I or whatever is the proper grammar. Okay? You are living in the last days. At some point, you were like me, and you had a moment where it was the rest of your life. And you made decisions and directions, and you figured out how to earn a living, and where to live, and the standard of living you, you could live with, and the person you were going to marry, and all, the, and all these things came together. All those things are irrelevant outside of the context. You know what you know, this Bible says about all that stuff? It will burn. It will go away. It will blow away like dust. When I got married, I thought that nothing could ever happen to my marriage. I thought from the foundations of the earth, because of my faithfulness and my integrity and everything else, nothing could ever happen to my marriage. And I'll be darned if I didn't stare it in the face that my marriage almost walked out the door. I thought I'd be a pastor forever. God made me to do it, called me to do anything. I'll be darned if I wasn't a construction worker for seven years, which I loved, by the way. But all of it is just like shadows, dust in the wind, unless you understand it in the context of living in these last days. Maybe you are one of these people, like many of us, who have had all these foundations washed out from under you in these last few years. Maybe your standard of living has disappeared, your career that gave you significance, organizations you were involved with that that, that gave you a, a high standing, maybe something happened in those organizations that actually has become a mark on your character. All this stuff has been washed away. Well, here's the message to you today, man. You are living in the last days and none of it matters. Just reorganize it, re-understand it. Go to the Holy Spirit and have him show you why these things have played out to put you in a better place to be more aligned to carry out his will and his kingdom in these last days. Because your hope is secure that you're going to live in that city. It's for you. And you're helping build it right now, and it doesn't matter what your job or social standing or all these things are to make that happen. So that's thing one. You're living the last days. Thing two, you have the power. If you have trusted in Christ, you have the access of the Holy Spirit in your life. He is working in you, through you, and in spite of you. And don't ever forget that. When you don't know what to say or when you think you have to learn more or know more to serve God, you can forget it because he can serve, he can make Christians through a rock. 
He can use you wherever you're at. He used a, 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 an uneducated blue-collar fisherman, right? Peter. He gave Peter a mission, which Peter embraced when he realized the reality of the truth of Jesus Christ and who he said he was. He realized that Jesus was a real deal. You know why Peter did what he did? Because he saw Jesus walk out of a grave. Not just that was the, that wasn't the only reason though, because Jesus walked out of the grave and then Jesus embraced him who had betrayed Jesus by denying him. So the love of Christ mixed with the power of Christ and the authority of Christ changed Peter forever. And this blue collar, big mouth fisherman changed the world with a speech Let me tell you the rest of the story with Peter. Peter went on to live an unbelievably difficult and challenging life with very little money, very little resources. He and the other apostles moved through life and their world until eventually all but one of them was slaughtered for what they believed. They forsook everything. Some of the disciples were rich, some of them were poor. Well, they all became poor. For this message, they all went out and they said, I don't care if I'm rich or poor. I'm not looking to be poor. I'm not looking to suffer, but I am on a mission and I will do whatever it takes in these last days because I know that the great day of the Lord is coming. Just like in the resurrection, I know that Jesus was crucified on Friday, but I know that Sunday is coming. That was a three-day analogy for all of human history. We are living on Friday. We are living in the last days. We are living in the middle of suffering and pain. But Sunday is coming. And we are bringing it by the power of the Holy Spirit. So, with that said, I want to leave you with a little mission, a little, a little, a little assignment because I don't want to just lay this on you and have you go, oh, well, that's great, whatever. And then you go home and you forget right as soon as you go out the door like I used to do. I have to remember because I have to write stuff down for Tom. Um, I want you to do something. If you haven't done this, it, this thing, find your thing, do your thing, okay? There's a stack of them back there. And uh, they're also, you can get them on our website at the, and the resources page, okay? This is just a little exercise to help you sort of examine your season of life right now and go, am I aligned with what God would have me be doing with my time, my talent, my resources to build God's kingdom in these last days? Am I doing my thing? Okay, that's what that's about. It's just between you and God. If you want to share it with me and talk about it, that's fine. Um, but that's for you. And then there's also a list. Maybe you already kind of know what your thing is. This is everything our church is involved with, okay? Around the community and in the world, and uh, you can look through this list and see if there's something that, that you, by the power of the Holy Spirit, need to get involved with and, um, and engage as a part of your last day's ministry. Let me tell you what, you don't feed, you, you, don't, you, don't home, you don't shelter homeless people because Jesus did that and it's a nice, good thing to do. He said to do that. You do it because it is wrong. It's not right for a person to, be, to not have a home. It doesn't look like the new city. You don't fight for justice in an unjust situation because Christians are good, righteous, just people. You do it because the new city is just. And what we're doing is chipping away at everything in this world that does not look like the new city. Salvation comes in three modes. It does not just come morally. Where you go, I'm a crappy sinner, and and God forgive me, and then he does. And that's why this church doesn't just go out and go, Jesus, 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 Jesus. And then when people say, yes, Jesus, we go, good, done, see you later. That's not 
what salvation is. Salvation is about redemptive history. It's about a changing of the whole world at its fiber, at its, at, at its DNA level. It's moral, realizing my sin and separation from God, trusting Christ with my life. It's physical, realizing that people shouldn't starve and die. They shouldn't get diseases. There shouldn't be decay in this world, that people should be healthy. And finally, it's social. There should not be injustice in this world. There should be no one that doesn't receive mercy. That's why we do what we do, because that's last world redemptive evangelism. And so, take this assignment, check it out, get involved with it, and figure out uh, uh, where you need to be and what you need to be doing. Maybe you're already doing it. That's great. That's good news. And you remember uh, on April 11th, we had a Share Life workshop in here. Remember that? Who, Who came to that? Raise your hand if you came to the Share Life Sunday. I promise you that we would have a workshop that was more fully ordered, would provide more resources for you. It's about how to share this life that's so worth sharing, okay? July 11th and 18th. July 11th and 18th, we're going to have that workshop during this service. You can come to the early, go to the workshop. It's an hour and a half each Sunday. Sign up for that register in the back and just get into a discourse about how to take this into the lives of your friends because they need it. So that's your assignment. I wish I had a great closing story to make you all weepy, but that's it. I want you to leave here with an assignment. So let's pray. Father, we thank you for loving us, for caring for us, and for revealing to us through your Holy Spirit the honor and privilege of, being, of having access to this mission in these last days. Father, as you have prepared us and equipped us We ask that even this week, even today, you would reveal to us in this season of life what you would have us do to be a part of this mission, that we, like Peter and the apostles and the disciples, would walk out the door into the world with this message of moral, social, physical salvation through Jesus Christ and his love and mercy. Father, we pray that you would make this world a better place because this church and these believers are in it in this season of our lives. In Jesus' name, amen.